Okay. Um, if you brought your Bibles, that's good. If you didn't, there should be enough in the seats in front of you that you can refer <coughs> refer to one. Um, and I think most of them can't remember. Some of them are NIV, I think, and some of them are New American Standard. Um, and I'm using New American Standard, so if there's a little bit of difference, if you're using, if one of the Pew Bibles is um, not New American Standard. <coughs> what we want to do is look, um, try to get through um, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and Acts 2. Okay, now that's an awful lot, but um, we'll. We'll get through it <clears throat> as quickly as we can. And I forgot my Bible. <laughs> well, no, it's all it's all copied. In, yeah, no hand. Yeah, um, it's all copied for me. But I forgot the Acts too um, that I need this. Anyway. <clears throat> um, so we'll read, I think what we'll do is read the scripture that I told you to read last week. I'm kind of scared to ask how many read it. Um, maybe in the Christmas spirit, since we're, you know, being nice to everybody. <clears throat> I won't make it, ask for a show of hands of who read it. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Well, let's pray, and then we'll start um, in Acts chapter 2. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us, your mercy, faithfulness, and your presence that is always with us. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for truth. Thank you, Lord, that you guide us and keep us in the right way. Be with us this evening, we pray, not only here, but in the rest of the building, and then the youth are off-site tonight. I just pray you'd keep us all, and may your name be honored in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> We're talking about Pentecostal slash what some call Neo-Pentecostal or Charismatic um, movement, which um, is primarily a movement of this century um, and the previous one, um, starting in um, around 1901 is really the best, clearest date we can come up with. Um, <clears throat> and so 120 years, probably, of the, um, what we would call the Pentecostal slash charismatic movement. The focus has always been on the gifts and been on experience, but it has um, evolved into almost a nearly exclusive focus on um, the gift of tongues. Healing is an issue, but of course there are anywhere from 20 to 21, depending on which list you look at, 
of what are called gifts, and they're not equally um, elevated, I guess, as far as their attention goes. Um, <clears throat> but since, of course, the term Pentecostal comes from Pentecost, we want to read some of Acts 2. So we'll begin in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? The point being, they wouldn't know all the various languages that were being spoken spoken there. And then you have, a, I'm, we're going to be having to move quickly, so I'm not going to read each um, language group, but starting in nine, there are 15 language groups um, that are mentioned here. And they said, we hear them down in uh, verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now, um, <clears throat> I'm not going to read Paul or Peter's whole sermon. Um, Peter summed this up some years later and said that our hearts were purified by faith. So his entire um, condensed testimony of what happened the day of Pentecost did not mention um, rushing mighty wind, did not mention tongues of fire on each person's head, did not mention speaking in other languages, but brought out what the core purpose and accomplishment of Pentecost was, which was our hearts were purified by faith. So that's what matters. Now, <clears throat> um, very quickly, Acts 2, they spoke in, in intelligible, human, known languages. There was no such thing here as what we would call ecstatic utterance or languages that were not intelligible. There was no, the only, we can say this, uh, well, I'll say that. Um, <clears throat> It isn't but another, what, six, seven chapters, and you have what's called the Samaritan Pentecost. That is when Philip uh, went down to Samaria, preached the gospel. It said that they turned, many turned to the Lord. They believed, they were baptized, and then um, the word got back to Jerusalem that the Samaritans had received the gospel, said they were baptized, but it says as of that point, no, none, um, none of them had had the Holy Spirit fall upon them yet. Okay? When they heard that in Jerusalem, the elders in Jerusalem, which were the disciples, the apostles, sent Peter and John down to Samaria, it says to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They prayed there, laid their hands on them, and there is no record there in the Samaritans of any um, 
you know, well, no rushing wind, no tongues on their heads, no, no language is spoken. <clears throat> the next case is what's called by some the Gentile um, Pentecost, which is in Acts 10 and 11, and that's when Peter went to um, the house of Cornelius. Um, Cornelius, though he would technically be called a Gentile, was a, seems to have been maybe a, a Jewish proselyte, uh, proselyte that he had converted. But at any rate, Peter goes there, he preaches to them, and there was some knowledge of the gospel because Peter said, what happened with Jesus and the crucifixion, you know about. And you've, the gospel, he said, you know of, you've heard of it, okay? Um, and then it says, while Peter was preaching to them, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And it says, they spoke with tongues. Then it says, Peter said, how could we withhold water baptism from these who obviously have believed in the Holy Spirit's fallen upon them. Peter was taken to task by the Jerusalem elders, not the apostles necessarily, but the, the ex-Pharisees or converted Pharisees, because you ate with Gentiles. You went to Gentiles and you ate with them. Peter told him about the dream that he had, the sheet let down with different unclean animals in him. God said, get up and eat, and he wouldn't. And then he said, what I've cleansed don't call unclean. And so, at any rate, he goes to the Gentiles, he preaches to them, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And then when he got back to Jerusalem and was taken to task for it, he made the point, he said, uh, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just like he did on us. And then he said he didn't put in, he, God, didn't put any difference between them and us, meaning Gentiles, giving them the Holy Spirit even as he did unto us. Okay, now, so Peter, who was at the original Pentecost, and now was at the Samaritan Pentecost, and was at the Gentile Pentecost, was able to say nothing deviated from the original that we were in when we were in Jerusalem. That means... The tongues that were spoken um, at the, if they were at the Samaritan, though that's not mentioned, but what was spoken at the Gentile had to have been known human languages, just like at the first one, or Peter wouldn't have said, this one was patterned just like ours. Then the final is in uh, the 19th chapter of Acts, when Paul went to Ephesus, found, it says, about 12 disciples, and he, his first question tells us a lot about Paul, tells us about the early church, tells us what really ought to matter. The very first question out of Peter, or out of Paul, to that little group of believers was not what your budget is, not what your mission statement is, not what your attendance is, not where you're going to build your new building, and what programs are you using for whatever. He said, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit yet? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, they said, we haven't even heard that there was the Holy Spirit. Now, better versions, I think, say, not that they didn't know there was a Holy Spirit, but better versions, newer ones will say, uh, we didn't know that the Holy Spirit was given 
Well, he says, well, then what, what were you baptized into? And they said, well, we're baptized into John the Baptist's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. And so Paul gives them a little more detail and said that the, the Messiah, um, of whom John the Baptist preached, and has arrived um, and was crucified, dead, buried, rose from the dead, and poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church. So he said, let me baptize you in the name of Jesus. So they were baptized, and then immediately after they were baptized, Paul laid hands on them, and it says the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues. That, now, though that's the course in Acts of the first 30, 40 years of the church, and you have those, those in addition to Jerusalem, you have Samaritan, Cornelius, and the Ephesian, Pentecost, you want to call it. Now, I think those cases do follow um, the, what, the, the regions that Jesus spoke of. He said, not very many days from now you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, he said, then you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, uttermost parts of the world okay so i th- it, those episodes were um, extending the boundaries of the spread of the gospel and i think those were initiatory of those fresh pushes okay now <clears throat> um in paul's second journey missions journey we know we went to Corinth now I can't remember I think I did how much did I go into the history of Corinth last week as far as their religious practices and what the religious moral culture was in Corinth I know I said something but I don't know how much can't remember was it very was it enough they were bad. Um, they had a thousand temple prostitutes and um, going up, you know, and um, commencing with the temple prostitutes uh, in the temple of Aphrodite among a bunch of other temples was um, part of the worship um, and a, a keynote of their worship was the priest's priestesses the worshipers um, would speak in ecstatic utterances and that was proof that they were under the inspiration of the god that they were worshiping i don't have time to go into here um, except to tell you i don't know how long i take to research how many of the pagan religions always included um, ecstatic utterances, um, trances, um, and unintelligible utterances, okay? Um, That was so commonplace, that's all I guess I can say, is totally commonplace. In the scripture itself, in the Old Testament, the, the idol-worshiping Canaanites um, spoke in tongues. The prophets of Baal specifically were, 
spoken of. Um, it says they prophesied. Prophets of Baal in that contest on top of Mount Carmel with Elijah where they went nuts and they cut themselves and they were ho- jumping and hopping up on the altar. And it says they prophesied after their manner. That's what King James Version says. And it means ecstatic utterances. They were, they were just in a complete frenzy. Um, and it involved uh, unintelligible utterances. Okay, now um, we know too um, many of the not the the pagans. It was very common, and even among what you would call the Christian cults. I don't mean that they're Christian, but they say they are, and they're branches off of Christianity. The Mormon early Mormons spoke in tongues, um, so speaking in unintelligible languages. Or, this is a non-derogatory term, it might sound like it, but it's, it's used in this case as an official, I guess you'd say, term, gibberish. Um, it's not being derogatory, but it's, there's, no, there's no intelligible um, sounds other than just sounds, okay, that follow no human language patterns, okay? Now, so that's nothing new. It's very old. It's very widespread. Um, there's virtually no pagan religions that didn't practice it. Okay. Now, if we look then um, at the church in Corinth, let me just give you a couple thoughts quickly here. We need to remember about the church in Corinth. Um, first of all, in the New Testament, those cases in the book of Acts, where the languages are, where the, where the uh, and I, you know what? I, I'm into the same rut everybody else is. We talk tongues, tongues, tongues. The truth of the matter is, the language is just languages. Tongues has, a, has gotten a connotation about it that it is some kind, it, it's supernatural, it's some kind of um, out of body almost experience, it's unknown. Uh, to the speaker, it is uh, you know a heavenly sort of a language, or um, it's beyond this veil here. But it really shouldn't be read that way. Everywhere we see um, the word tongues, the tr- the word translated just means languages. So that needs to be remembered. So they spoke in other languages. That's key. They were not unintelligible. They were identifiable human languages. Okay? Now, Corinth, worst church in the New Testament, without a rival. They were the worst. They drove Paul nuts. They were his worst problem. They were chock full of problems. They were the worst church in the New Testament for doctrinal error and heresies and um, pagan or at the carnal uh, ethical behavior um, and moral behavior that Paul said even the resident pagans don't do. And that was they had a member of the church who was... Um, I don't know if there had been a formal marriage or whatever, but anyway, who was 
cohabitating with his stepmother. Okay? And the church, Paul made it clear, was patting themselves on the back for their tolerance of that. That they were, oh, we have, we're compassionate here. Yeah, we, and Paul said, wait a minute. He said, even the pagans don't do that. As bad as they are. In the world are you doing? And so he ordered them to put him out of the church. Now we know from 2 Corinthians that that worked. The guy repented and Paul said, all right, let him back in um, and restore him because it, he has turned away from that. He's gotten right with God. <clears throat> but Corinth, I, I don't need to go into all the heresies, but just they had all kinds of heresies. They were suing one another in, in pagan court. They were nothing but trouble. The problem that is introduced and addressed in chapters 12, 13, and 14, then you need to recognize this. The speaking of languages, other tongues, other languages, in the Corinthian church was a problem, not a recommendation. Paul never urged them he, he approached it as, and I would go from, um, and then we'll look at it. I'll go from least, three descriptions from least to most serious. One, it was, just, it was a distraction. They were, they were just bug-eyed after all the, quote, gifts and missed the main thing, which is why 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched in between 12 and 14. He meant it that way. Because 13, pursue love. That's what matters. And you guys, he said, are fooling with things that don't matter to the exclusion of love. Second thing, so it was, it was distraction. It was a distraction. Second, it was also divisive. Uh, they were using it as self-righteous, pompous, look at me. And the issue we'll see as we read it is Paul keeps hammering, quit doing things to show yourself off. Everything that's done in the church should be for the edification of the whole body. So stop grabbing, fighting over who gets the spotlight. Then the third thing, you might think I'm going off, the, just going off crazy here. No, I don't believe that. Just hang on. It was a distraction. It was divisive. It was demonic. Okay? Now, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. This is the first introduction. Um, and by the way, there is no other church in the New Testament that Paul ever speaks to about, um, not much about the gifts even, but about specifically um, tongues and the accompanying things. So in 12.1, <clears throat> what I want to do is read this fast as I can, make some comments as we go so we've got some time left to um, summarize things. Now concerning spiritual gifts, the word gifts is not there. It literally means, says spirituals. 
spiritual things. But concerning spiritual things, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. This is critical. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by the mute idols, however you were led. The clear implication here is they were not under their own control. They were, other versions say, carried away. They were not in control. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed or Jesus be damned. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, what's the obvious inference of this? Somebody professing to speak in the Spirit. And I think we have to recognize a couple things that occurred here. One, this person claimed to be speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Two, it's clear that the speaker, or what was said, the language, was unknown to the speaker. Okay? But apparently known to some hearer. And I'll get to that at the end. But, Someone recognized that this, whoever it was, was supposedly speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but said, Jesus be damned. Now, Paul says, nobody speaking by the Holy Spirit says that. There's the demonic. That's, to me, that is not the case in many, 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 many cases. Okay? But this is a potential um, vulnerability to releasing any inhibitions emotionally and just opening up yourself. Okay? Now, <clears throat> so trying to set right the view of gifts. Three, therefore I make known to you. No, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Four. Now there are, notice this, varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Notice all three persons of the Trinity here are covered. The Lord is Jesus, of course the Spirit, and God the Father. So the three persons of the Trinity are in complete agreement, obviously, and it's that, those, that Godhead that grants gifts and abilities and so forth um, to the members of the body of Christ. <clears throat> Seven, but to each one is given, that came from God, <clears throat> the manifestation of the Spirit, notice this, for the common good. That's Paul's whole aim here. Remember, why did he write this letter? Not only because they were just riddled with problems, but right off the bat, he said, I am told, in chapter 1, I am told that there are, there's envying and there's discord, and he said, there are parties, there are divisions among you, and he said, and he ratted out um, the household, who was it? Household of whoever, 
um, that told me. So he put it in the ladder. I don't know. I don't know if they showed up at church the next week, but at any rate, said the house of Chloe. The house of Chloe told me that you guys are fighting. There's divisions. You're picking sides, and this is a mess. So he said, "That's why I'm writing to you." So that's why he emphasizes for the common good. For, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings, that's plural, by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles means works of power, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, discernment, to another various kinds of tongues or languages, and to another the interpretation of languages. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, and here's a critical word or phrase, just as He wills. That tells us, then, that no one exercises any gift on their own, or on their own initiation, or on their own strength, or through their own minds. God's the one that gives. So people say, so-and-so's got the gift of healing. He's had it all his life. Well, he's better than Paul. Paul didn't always have the gift of healing, or he wouldn't have left Trophimus at Miletum sick. He wouldn't have had Titus or Timothy. He said, you've got to drink some wine, quit drinking water for your frequent illnesses. Why not just heal him? Now, <clears throat> so everybody's not to be healed, Period. Great man, Eli, uh, Elisha, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. As King James puts it, he fell sick of the sickness wherewith he died. The notion that we're, everyone's to be healed is ridiculous. We're going to die. I don't like it, but God said so. And it's pretty tough to do an end run around it. Okay? Now, <clears throat> eight for the one is given the word did i already read that no um yeah i did now i skipped some in first corinthians 12 beginning with 12 um, where paul says the body is one but it's made up of many members the hand can't say to the foot if, if we all need to be a hand and the foot can't say we all need to be a nose and the nose can't say we all got to be an eye and whatever. Uh, I skipped all that. And we go then to uh, verse 13 of 12. <clears throat> For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. 28, <clears throat> God has appointed in the church, this is also very important, first, apostles, second, prophets. Prophets are in today's language and from that position, that role then, preachers, okay? Third, teachers, then miracles or works of power, whatever that means. Um, then, gifts of healings. Notice there's, they're both plural, plural. Gifts of healings. Quickly, I think it means doctors. Not just, you know, forehead 
whacking. It's the ability to be a healer, Med- medical. Um, <clears throat> gift of administrations, various kinds of languages. Now notice here, um, who would say the proof of having the Holy Spirit is you get the gift of administration? You understand me? You don't have the Holy Spirit unless you've got administration. Boy, if you can administrate, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. What in the world? There's no reason or basis at all to separate out one particular um, gift and elevate that, especially when we see here it is last in the list. Okay? It's last. It's the least of the gifts. 29. Notice this is also critical. Are, are all, all are not apostles, are they? Answer to all these is no. All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, teachers are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not, do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with languages, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Quit there just for a moment. The long-term, persistent um, doctrinal teaching is that you must, you must at some point get, receive the gift of tongues. But Paul right here says it's not for everybody. Does everybody speak in languages? Of course not, he said. Just as there, not everybody's an apostle. Then where do you come up? Where, you know, where's the doctrine that says everyone has got to have that particular of the l- long list of gifts? There's no basis for that. <clears throat> but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. That's the introduction to chapter 13. There's a far greater, better, fuller, richer way than you scrambling over who gets to pick a gift and gets to exercise it. Then you have 13. If I speak with the tongues or languages of men and even of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, kind, not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. Isn't promoting itself. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong. Other versions say does not keep does not keep a list of hurts. That's good. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there's tongues, they'll cease. If there's knowledge, it'll be done away. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Now, this is a, meant as a 
kind rebuke to the Corinthians. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. He will follow that up a little bit later with another one of the similar. says, quit thinking like children. They were childish. That's one of the main, Paul called them, your babies. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Now we know in part, we'll know so forth. Now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursuit, now, now we're out of 13. Then he moves into 14 where he picks up again this issue of looking out for the best of the uh, reputation of God and the body of Christ. 14.1, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. By prophesying, he means here, expounding Scripture, exhorting people to walk in the light of Scripture, explaining the truth, um, it's like the Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah. It said the Levites read in the book of the law distinctly, gave the sense, and caused the people to understand the reading. That's our job as ministers, as preachers. Make the word of God clear. So he said, if you've if you got to scramble after get a lot of this, you have to realize here, a lot of this is by concession from Paul. He is not for the level of obsession with gifts and, and wearing them on your sleeve as they are. So everything Paul's saying here, we need to realize, is to restrict and regulate the exercise of gifts, not to promote them and not to stir them up, boy, go after more of them. He said, basically, chill out. And if you, gotta, if you think you want to aim for a gift, here's a good one prophecy be a teacher of the word now one who speaks in a language does not speak to men but to God now here's what we have to stop for a second and I believe and I think it'll be borne out as we re read here um, most many versions have the word unknown there it's always in italics because the word unknown doesn't occur anywhere in, in the text but I do believe Paul is very clearly speaking of unknown tongues, unknown languages. But the question is this. Um, is, he, is he mainly speaking of languages, languages, utterances that are unknown to the speaker or the hearer? Okay? I maintain, other than the case, obviously, where you have, in 12.1, this person who curses Jesus, I think the assumption there is that he was under some kind of demonic influence and didn't even realize what he was saying. And that I'll, I'll back up here, hopefully. <clears throat> so, What's Paul talking about in everything he's saying to them about speaking in other languages? This is the most, Corinth, number one, even in the Roman Empire, of what's called a polyglot culture and society. Multiple languages. Corinth <clears throat> sat in between 
down in the Aegean Peninsula. Corinth sat there were at a narrowing, and there were bays on both sides, and I think it was a mile and a half or two miles across land to the other side. Well, it was a great shortcut to going all all the way around for shipping coming from the east and coming from the west. Well, then they would pull into either the West Bay or the East Bay, and they had a some kind of a road um, that they would drag, probably over logs or something, boats from one side to the other. Well, in the 1800s, a canal was um, put in so that now, it, you know, it's like a, you can just go from one bay to the other. Um, but for who knows how long, centuries, they, they would either unload <clears throat> and pack everything to another ship or, in some cases, drag the ship if, if, if it was a smaller one. Um, Corinth was right in the middle of it. Corinth was right below that short piece of land between the two bays. So there were every single kind of merchant, seamen, uh, investors, financers, bankers, uh, money changers. Everything was in Corinth. And, of course, not only then were they known for a, just a jumbled kind of mixture culture, but for their depravity. The Romans had a phrase, you were a Corinthian, which meant you were just depraved because that's the kind of behavior that they had. Okay? Now, what I am totally convinced, Paul's addressing uh, mass meetings, however large, that very likely had who knows how many different language groups sitting there or represented there. We know also that their services were mayhem. Okay? Um, he says, everybody shows up. And he says this, everybody's got a psalm. Everybody's got a song. Everybody's got a word of exhortation. Um, there was no, no kind of order at all. And so when he says, don't get up and speak in an unknown language, he means unknown to all the people in this audience here, this congregation, that don't know your language. Don't do that. It's unknown. Okay? He is not talking here about, again, language unknown to the speaker. And there's a verse that will help us there. Um, Were you edified? That's my son, Stephen, who got his doctorate in Eastern European studies and German history. What did you say? I don't even know what you said. What? This is the Lord's Prayer. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul says, don't do that. He said, now, if there's somebody there that can interpret it, that's fine. But listen to me. That means you've got to find out the guy that can interpret. You don't just get up and start blowing off. And then somebody over here, he's got the gift of interpretation. He said, if there isn't anyone there to interpret, keep your mouth shut. It means you have to have arranged ahead of time. Yeah, there's another guy here that can speak German and he can interpret. So this is, now understand how I mean this. This is not a, a kind of airy, supernatural thing. It's just plain, don't get up and testify in German, Spanish, Russian, Galatian, whoever else, unless you know there are people that can interpret. Otherwise, he said, talk to yourself, talk to the Lord, he understands your language, but keep your mouth shut. Nobody else knows it. That, that is not only what he means, but let me put it this way. It's all he means. He is not talking about getting up and speaking in an unintelligible, non-human language and then have someone else get up and say, they said we should love the Lord a whole lot more than we do or whatever. Frankly, many of the interpretations of those types are similar to the horoscope, meaning it's, the, it's generalized stuff, usually. And, and by the way, who gets to check it? How do you check it? I don't know if that's... I just got to trust that this guy over here thinks he said such and such. That is not what Paul is encouraging. He's not what it's... He's not, neither is he permitting it. He's saying, don't do it. Talk to yourself. Okay? Now, okay, where are we? Um, well, go down to 14.2. One who speaks in a language doesn't speak to men but to God, meaning if it's unknown to, you know, if it's language that people don't understand. For no one understands... But in his spirit, he, that the, the speaker speaks what are to the hearers mysteries. And now, I didn't, I didn't know. I told Stephen to do this. But I didn't know what he was going to do. I, couldn't, I had no idea what he was doing, what he was saying. I was probably to stand up and say, hey, that's not, that's not biblical. You've got to have an interpreter. You've got to have an interpreter. Uh, it is interesting that Paul also does say, he says, pray that you can interpret. So it's not another person doing it. So there is a supernatural ability that God may give to someone to, who, who can interpret. Okay? Um, but anyway, thir uh, three. One who prophesies, preaches, expounds the word, speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation, comfort. One who speaks in a known language but unknown to hearers, may edify himself. But one who prophesies edifies the whole church. Now I wish, and people grab onto this, now I wish you all spoke in tongues, languages. Paul was multilingual. We know how educated he was. And we know his missionary effort. He had to have multiple languages that he could speak in. So he is... Again, it's the word language. 
I wish you all had that ability, but even more that you would prophesy. Greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues. Unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. There again is the good of the whole group. Now, brethren, six, I come to you, if I come to you speaking in languages, what will profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? You might look at that and say, what in the world does he mean by that? Well, he tells us in seven. Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? If the bugle player can't, if it gives no kind of orderly sound, he said, I don't know if he's blowing charge, retreat, reveille, food, I don't know. How can I know what to do? Okay, now, back when I could still remember it, which I don't anymore, I went looking at this one night in a Wednesday night, I think it was a Wednesday, anyway, I just went to the piano and I played about the first four, five, six measures of um, Moonlight Sonata. Okay? And I said, now, anybody recognize that? There were a few that recognized it, even if they didn't know what to call it. They recognized the tune. Yeah, I've heard that. Then I just hit all over the place. And I said, now, what was that? Nobody knows. That's what Paul is saying. Don't do that in church, he says with your mouth. It's no different than if you just, I, I got Jessica in here the other day because they didn't know how to turn on this electric piano. And I forgot Moonlight Sonata. It's been so long since I played it. So I, what, I don't even know what you call it, but it's that whatever that song is. She had some, she thought she knew what it was. But anyway, it's a recognizable tune. Paul's saying, you're better off not to play the piano if, if, if you can't hit the right notes. Okay? Now, well, he goes on in 9. So, you, so also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? You'll be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world. And here, no kind is without meaning. There is no such thing, technically. An ecstatic utterance is not a language. It's not a human language. There's no kind without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be to the one who speaks a barbarian or a foreigner. And the one who speaks will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you're zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Everyone. To build up everybody. Therefore, let anyone who speaks in a tongue or language pray that he may interpret. That would be, that would be supernatural ability. But again, it's the ability to, to interpret your own words, your own thoughts, into the language of the majority of the hearers. 
If I pray in a language, my spirit prays. Now, this is another one that gets really, but my mind is unfruitful. Okay. Then it goes on and says, I'd rather pray uh, five words in, with my mind than 10,000 without my mind. And we, people think that means you have no control. You're just jabbering. It's not what it means at all. The word unfruitful here means produces nothing. Okay. So let's just pretend for a minute that I have vast knowledge and wisdom. Okay. We can pretend five, six seconds. If I stand up here and speak, or if Stephen gives us a lecture in German, his mind is unfruitful. It produces no understanding and information in anybody else's mind. It doesn't mean that he doesn't even know what he's saying. It means that his knowledge, because it's cut off by the barrier of speech, produces nothing. That's all he's saying here. It, it, it doesn't do any good. Now, go down to 16. If you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted? Interesting, too, other versions, including King James, um, translate ungifted as unlearned, uneducated. Okay? Now, notice this. If you bless in the Spirit only, meaning you're speaking in a way that no one knows what you're saying. said, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted or the unlearned or the uneducated say amen at your giving of thanks since he doesn't know what you're saying? What I'm trying to help us see here, again, this is just almost at the level of a simple organizational housekeeping measure. If you pray, I heard of a guy. I have some of his books. Um, guy from the 1800s named W.B. Godby called on to pray at some place. Prayed 45, he was really eccentric sort of a character. Prayed 45 minutes in Greek. <laughs> well, he knew what he was saying, but the vast majority of the people there didn't. So what good does that do? That's all Paul's saying. Now, <clears throat> um, 17, you're giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all, meaning I, can, I have the ability to minister in all the languages of the Mediterranean basin, however in the church with, with us gathered together. I desire to, to speak five words with my mind, meaning that's connecting with them, that I may, that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue that's unknown. Brethren, here's that verse I said was coming up too. Don't be children in your thinking, yet in evil, be, be innocent as infants when it comes to evil stuff, but in your thinking, be mature. He refers here to something that I got to be careful to get going here. From Isaiah, where Isaiah said, I've sent prophets to you for centuries, and you wouldn't listen to them. Finally, he said, I'm going to try it with men, he said, of stammering tongue, meaning the way they talked, it sounded like they were stuttering. The Babylonians. And he said, you won't listen to them either. <clears throat> so <clears throat> then he goes in. For 22, tongues are assigned not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. What does tongues mean, and what did tongues mean on the day of Pentecost? 
The mighty wind was power. The fire was purity. The tongues, proclamation, evangelism, spreading the word of the gospel. The tongues were a symbol of what God wanted all of us to be, is speak the word wherever we go. And what did happen? Stephen's um, persecution, it says, they were scattered from Jerusalem and they went everywhere preaching the gospel. That's what he means by the sign of tongues, of other languages. God gave them the ability to speak so others could hear when no one in their language group was there or could speak to them. What's the outcome then? Then um, 26. When you assemble, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification, uh, not self-exaltation. If anyone speaks in a language, it should be by two or at most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. There are two meanings, two, two opinions of what that means. Only let two or three people who are, need to have an interpreter speak. Or others say, and mostly it's interesting, missionaries that have either written or I know personally have said, I think it, a better uh, meaning is one or two or three phrases at a time and let the other one interpret. Uh, Dan Knust, just a few weeks, well, no, it's not weeks, August, September, went down to Brazil scouting out a place um, where a mission work is for a future work trip from here to have people go down there. And he gave his testimony through an interpreter. He couldn't speak Portuguese. Okay? So um, he stood up and gave his testimony, and he gave two or three verse or sentences, and the missionary would interpret and speak to the group in Portuguese. I think that could very well be what he's talking about here. Okay? Now, I believe, by the way, I believe that God is the same as he's always been. There's nothing he didn't do, couldn't do now. Uh, did back then that he couldn't. He's never been restricted. I've been on some mission boards of, of a large missions organization. Um, had three or four hundred missionaries, a bunch of different fields. We had to put up with, we had to figure out when we sent them out how much time it take for language school. And we had to build it into their support because they couldn't minister till they learned the language. I don't know why God didn't just give the gift to every single one of them while they were either flying over there or when they hit the tarmac, they know Swahili or whatever it is. But he didn't. Um, I don't hardly know a missionary other than the one I told you about last week, my seminary professor, who didn't have to learn the language. So the customary thing is human languages learned by humans and God doesn't seem to make a habit of bypassing the normal human learning processes um, when we know in some cases he could. Now, um, we better quit quickly. But um, anyway, anything. All things must be done properly in an orderly manner. For, verse above, do not forbid to speak in tongues as long as you stick within the regulations. So he's not telling them, don't ever stand up and speak in German. 
Just make sure you do it according to the rules. Find somebody that can te- uh, interpret. And if you can't, keep your mouth shut. Okay. Now, um, here's what I here's here's what I want to close with. I guess. Um, and we've got we got ten minutes before we get out of here. I do want to make as I've done. I tried anyway. I've tried to make. I'm I am not a Catholic, and there's some really good reasons I'm not a Catholic. Okay. But I am not going to sit here. I'm, I, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't say that every single, especially devout Catholic, going to hell. I don't believe that. I've met enough myself, and I'm not just going on experience, that peculiar, hard to prove sense that of a, com, uh, a common spirit. Uh, I remember the head nurse, St. Joseph's Hospital in Anderson, uh, Indiana, where I pastored, going up there and praying with an elderly woman in my church, and she was dying. And uh, this little nun came in, just, you know, walking down the hall, and, you know, had the whole habit on and the whole thing. She was, she was the chaplain. And uh, when I walked in, about the same time she did, and we introduced ourselves, and visited a bit and then I said well um, let's let's pray and she just reached out her hand to the woman in the bed held her hand she reached out her hand to me and I took her hand and I prayed then she prayed I was in the presence of a believer I knew it I don't care if she crossed herself Um, I just I can't tell you the certainty I had. This dear soul loves God and knows God. Um, I met a young, a young trying out, or, you know, um, greenhorn priest when I first came to Gillette from St. Matthew's. He gave devotions at a little ministerial thing we had. Same sense. There was just something about him. There was a look on his face. There was a certainty in his voice as he gave these short devotions. And it bore, it just, it was this witnesses to your heart. I know, I, I know I, this is a fellow believer. This is not somebody just going through wooden rituals. Okay? Um, I, I, the thousands, well, hundreds of thousands of people that get these um, recordings of these lessons. Um, I've got to be careful who I talk about. Um, but let's just say this. <clears throat> I have some relatives that are died in the wool Baptists. Okay? Once saved, always saved. Which just sets my teeth on edge. Oh, it really does. It's like my feelings, you know. Um, but anyway, um, can't take that doctrine. And they believe once you're saved, I don't care if it's back in VBS when you're eight years old, five years old, you raise your hand, you prayed, you're saved. Can't ever be lost. And if you drift away from that ethically and live such a wicked life, now I'm not making this up. This is fairly well believed. If I'm living a wicked enough life um, that I become a, pro, a reproach to God because I tell people I'm a Christian, their belief is God will just have to kill me and take me to heaven. Remove me from here so I won't be a bad witness. Okay, now that just sends me into orbit as a doctrine, as a teaching. Yet, the people I'm speaking of, 
say that in their heads, they don't live like that at all. Not at all. They love God. There's just no blood above here. <laughs> you know, um, they love God. They live righteous lives. Um, they wouldn't think of putting into practice the very thing they say they believe. Um, so, it's the same. I have dear people. I mean, they're dear to me that I have heart fellowship with that are part of the either Pentecostal or what we call Neo-Pentecostal or Charismatic um, that I know love God with all their hearts. They don't have any question about it. Um, we have soul fellowship. Talk about the same thing. We know what we're talking about. Um, so, I'm never going to say doctrine doesn't matter, because it does. The Bible tells us that. At the same time, these, some of these, whether it's Catholicism, Calvinism, whatever, there are some, what I consider, honest-to-goodness errors. But many people live be, uh, above and beyond that, and that's the heart that God's looking at. Um, there was an old Nazarene preacher of 100 years well, he died in the 40s, 1940s, about the difference between head and heart. They didn't have anything but railroad then, no planes. Um, he said, let your heart come through on fast express and your head on slow freight. Okay, Your head may not catch up with your heart very well, but it's the heart that God looks at. Okay, So um, I feel the same way about this particular stream of Protestantism. The only thing I do want to say is I feel like what it did in Corinth, it can be a distraction. I know people who feel, I know plenty of people raised in and or a part of the this movement who've never gotten the gift of tongues and feel like they're somehow deficient Christians. Or the people who everybody prays for to get healed and they don't. Well, you haven't got enough faith. Um, I don't believe that. We're going to die. I think that it can be distracting and and it can be defeating to some people to never quite measure up. Okay? And again, it's distracting in that the Bible makes very clear, Paul makes it very clear in the tiny minority of passages of Scripture in the whole of the Bible that even address the gifts and speaking specifically in tongues. When he says, not everybody speaks in tongues, do they? Well, what in the world then are we wishing, demanding, praying, expecting that everyone will get, quote, their prayer language or whatever? It's not biblical. I can put up with that. You can get to heaven. But the one thing I would close with is that I know personally. I'll give you three things. Number one, I was present when um, someone was trying to train someone else. And I know that this does happen in mass meetings, different settings. Trying to train someone how to speak in tongues. You don't do that with something that's only from God. Second, 
I forgot to mention this, but I will. I think it's huge. When Paul said the gift of languages and, and so forth is only given by the Spirit as He wills, then if it's the Spirit that's giving these ecstatic utterances and these so-called messages, what business does Paul, even though he's an apostle, have regulating that? You don't put restrictions on that if it's all of God. And Paul's out of line for saying you can't do this, you can't do that, and you better not do that, and you wait here, and if such and such said, you keep your mouth shut. Not if this is God's sovereign gift that he gives when, where, or how. Now, the final thing is, so, I stood and listened to this guy try to have another guy learn how to speak in tongues. Because he'd been praying to try to get tongues, and he couldn't get it. And so, I'm making none of this up. This guy told him. Um, the other guy, the, the trainer, told him, think of a phrase. And he couldn't think of one. So he recommended one. Toy boat. Toy boat. Now he said, say that, and then keep saying it a little bit faster, a little bit faster. And then, you know, hopefully you'll kind of get airborne and you'll get your, you'll get your language. I, I watched it. I don't want to get Pam Cosmicki in trouble. She got saved here in town back in the 80s. And at the height of the Catholic charismatic movement, St. Matthew's had a charismatic meeting where the auditorium was packed. And she, she went to it because she said, I just got saved. I don't know. I should go. Somebody invited her. So she went. And she said they had a whole formula that everyone was supposed to participate in to say certain words faster and faster and faster till the whole place would get airborne and get their, their, their tongue. And scared her to death. She said, everybody just started babbling. She said, I got up, took off. Okay. That isn't God. And I don't mind saying that. That's not God at all. That's human emotion. So, the worst thing, and these I also know of personally, is what can happen when you unleash and you just, you know, I'm unleashing any control over my mind and whatever. Two cases, quickly. <clears throat> guy that my dad went to seminary with by the name of Paul Shin. He escaped communist China in the late 40s, 49, when they took over. And he got over to Portland, and he uh, was a Christian and escaped. Anyway, he went to seminary with my dad. And he went one Sunday night down to Oregon, Portland, Oregon, had a massive kind of a, you know, I mean, it was big kind of a temple thing of the apostolic faith. And I can't remember what the whole name of the church was. But anyway, apostolic. They were, they were old line Pentecostal. And he slipped in at the back and he sat there and there was a Sunday night service and he said several people got up and spoke in tongues. One man's got up, and then someone else would get up and interpret. And he sat there, 
And then a guy got up. I don't know if a man or a woman, but he said a guy got up. And, you know, it was, again, it was gibberish. It was unknown, you know, language. And this interpreter got up and gave the standard kind of generalized, you know, we should all be better, trust God more, and whatever, which you can't check. He had the gumption. He was an adult, not the next case I've got who was a kid. He stood up and walked out of the aisle, and he said to the pastor, he said, no, they didn't. He said, I'm from China. I know Mandarin Chinese perfectly. And he said, that person did nothing but spew the most filthy, uh, cursing, depraved Mandarin Chinese that I think I've ever heard. We turned around and walked out. My brother-in-law grew up on the mission field. Bolivia, 40 years. His parents were missionaries there. They retired, came home to the States, and were in a Christian college teaching missiology. missiology. Harold Harriman was his name. Harold taught this class. Monday morning, one of his students, who was an international student, and he was from Laos, and he told that he had gone into town, this little town, Oskaloosa, Iowa, gone into this town, gone to a church, I don't know what it was, but someone stood up and spoke. He was a kid, he was 21 or two, didn't have the nerve to say anything publicly, but it was exactly the same story. He came back and he told Dr. Harriman, he said, this guy was, this, it was a woman, he said, using the foulest Laotian I've ever heard, and just damning God and all kinds of stuff, and he was just scared to death. Now, does that, does that typify all the charismatics? Of course not. But that's a danger when you just open yourself up and you are predisposed to the notion that just something takes me over and it, I don't have to make sense. I don't, may not even know what I'm saying. That's a danger. I think it's rare. I want to make that clear. But it's a danger. And I know personally, and those cases are more than just my two. So, there's why I think it's to be very, very careful um, with anything that is not crystal clear, biblical, and done decently and in order and sanely. Last verse. God is not the author of confusion, but of peacefulness, calm, sanity. We've got to get out of here. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we pray that you'd be with us as we're separated, at least on Wednesday nights for a couple weeks. And I pray again that you would help us just stick to the good old way, the plain Bible truth, and new things or new emphases or things we've not heard before or whatever, um, help, them, help us test them by Scripture and then walk carefully in the simple, straightforward, wise way that you've laid out. Keep us safe, we pray, as we go. Bless this whole holiday season, we ask in Jesus' name. 
Amen.